Well, good morning. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and for your word. Uh, Father, we ask that now as we spend time looking at your truth, that you would guide my words and you would open our hearts and minds as your people to your truth, that we might respond um, receptively, that we respond with love and, and action. And we just thank you, Lord, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the cross of Jesus Christ have to say to our world today? What does the cross of Christ have to say in the world when we look around and we see so much division and anger and hatred and hostility and ungraciousness? You know, the, the, the past couple of years have been really difficult. Uh, the tension is ratcheted up. Families and friends and businesses and organizations and churches are stretched uh, to the max. Uh, a divisive, heated election, a global virus that has put us all under pressure, racial tension, uh, sexual uh, abuse scandals coming to light, etc. It's been a really tough season in our, in our world, in our country, in our culture. How does the cross of Jesus Christ address that? What does it have to say to this? Today we are continuing a sermon series that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago on the topic of the cross. And we began by looking at um, how Jesus Christ on the cross is willing and able to forgive anyone at any time for anything if they will simply reach out in sincere faith and trust in him. We looked at how on the cross Jesus finished Satan, sin, and death. He said, it is finished. And he broke the power of Satan, sin, and death. And he paid the price for our sins. And today we come and we look at a passage from the book of Ephesians, which was written by the Apostle Paul. And I think it has something to say to us about the opening question I had. What does the cross of Christ, how does it speak to the division and hostility and anger and and all those things that we see in the world today? Now, the Apostle Paul, what we know about him from Scripture is that he was a, a Jewish man. And not only that, but he was strictly and religiously Jewish. What that means is that he was trained by a rabbi and he was very, very zealous, very careful to keep all the laws and regulations and maybe then some on top of that. There would have been certain foods he wouldn't have eaten. There would have been certain clothes he would not have worn, certain people that he would have avoided, and he would have worshipped in a very specific way. His worldview, Paul's worldview, before he became a, a believer in Jesus, it was very very rigid, very black and white. In his worldview, there were Jewish people who followed the law and the commandments strictly, and there was everybody else. In his worldview, there were people that God loved and blessed, and there was everybody else. And as you can imagine, when Jesus and his disciples came on the scene, Paul would not have viewed them very favorably, because Jesus, what did he do? He crossed all sorts of barriers in, in culture and society and religion. He, he talked to Gentiles. He talked to women. He talked to prostitutes. He ate dinner with tax collectors. He touched suck, sick people. He, he interacted with the Roman occupiers. Jesus challenged Paul's worldview and his interpretation and application of the law. And Paul, because of this, he did everything he could in his power to make the disciples of Jesus their lives miserable. He pursued them, he harassed them, he persecuted them. He was on the scene when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned to death. 
Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute believers when the risen Christ confronted him and he had a life-changing, life-transforming conversion. And from that point on, Paul was a different man and his worldview was 180 degrees different than it was, what it was before. Now, to be fair to Paul, previous to his conversion to Christ, um, his worldview wasn't that unusual. I mean, the Roman Empire, when we look at it, was a mix of people and cultures and ethnicities and religions. And, and for example, Romans, they looked down on Jewish people. They thought they were odd and strange and superstitious. And so they could treat them however they wanted to. And Jewish people, they, they viewed Gentiles, any non-Jewish person, as a pagan and as a heathen. Uh, and, and dirty and unclean and slavery was commonplace and accepted. Women and children were second-rate citizens and often treated as property. And so Paul's worldview wouldn't be that surprising because people were divided by all sorts of things in Paul's day. So how did the early church become a story where the Jews and the Gentiles who had decades and centuries of hostility and hatred and and suspicion, how did they come together in the same church and share their lives with each other and support and love each other and and work together to spread the good news of Jesus? I mean, there were some rough spots. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you look in the book of Acts, chapter 15, there's 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 an issue they have to resolve. The book of Galatians, there's clearly some issues Paul's addressing there. But eventually they were for the most part, worked out. How did this happen? The cross of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look now at our passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. It's a, a lot of stuff to take in, um, but stick with me, and we're going we're gonna to jump into some of this. Verse 11. Therefore, <clears throat> remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision that done the body by the hands of men. So he's saying there's Gentiles and then there's the Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is, is himself our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We're going to explain that in a little bit. Uh, By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new person out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Paul begins with what? The word remember. Remember. Remember who you were before you met Christ. Remember that you were alienated from God, that you had no hope without Christ. Why does Paul begin with this? When relating to other people, we must always, always, always come from a place of humility. And true humility originates from an understanding that God himself has been gracious and merciful to, to me, to, to, to you. 
And the place where God's grace and mercy is most fully manifested is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, even though these Jewish and Gentile people had come to believe in Jesus, they still had vestiges of their old worldview. They still had some of the old biases and prejudices and suspicions that were still there that they'd grown up with. The same is true of us today. We come to faith in Jesus Christ, and there are certain things in our worldview that maybe don't align with God's values. We need to be able to step back and look at those things. We're still a work in progress. And that's what Paul is, 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 is telling the Jews and Gentiles. Okay, your belief is in Jesus Christ, but you still have these issues that you need to let go of. And the hostility and separation that they'd grown up with was not a, clearly a part of Christ's kingdom. And Paul says, on the cross, Jesus put those things to death. He died for all sin. And he died to break the power of it for us. So, before we get to some more stuff, I want to ask the question, what parts of our worldview, of your worldview, are not of God? This is a difficult question. Really, I was talking to somebody after the first service about this. This This is a tough thing because we are so steeped in the culture and the nation or the world that we grow up in. It's the same for everybody, no matter where you live. We're like fish who spend their whole lives in water. That's all we know. We can't see the forest because of the trees sometimes. You know, well, what parts of our worldview are not of God? For us, I mean, there's a few things that, that, I, I, that I know that I, I have to wrestle through sometimes. Uh, for us, where we grew up, we have a strong sense of individualism. That's not a bad thing. You know, uh, you know, you stand up for your, your beliefs. You, you uh, stand up for your rights. You uh, take responsibility for your actions. Uh, and yet something that I think can be lost in this that we see in the early church is a sense of very strong sense of community and connection. Uh, in the early church, there's a mutual responsibility. If one part of the body suffers, they all suffer. If one part of the body has a need, they all jump to respond. They're all interconnected. They're individuals saved by faith, but they're connected and saved into the faith, into the body of Christ. And this is something when you look at the person of Christ and look at his example, Jesus Christ focuses on sacrifice and service. He doesn't focus on individual rights or or, or things like that. He focuses on what can I do to serve the community? And he gives up his life and he serves those around him. Another challenge for us is the goal of having a good life. Again, not a bad thing. We all want a good life. And in our culture, we kind of define a good life as, you know, uh, we want to raise some kids if we are able to have kids. Or we want to have a good marriage or we want to have a good life. We want to, um, you know, accumulate some stuff, uh, be able to, you know, have some options when we get older, travel, do this, do that. You know, be able to just enjoy some good things in life, which is fine, right? It's good. But when you look at the lives of the disciples, that's not really even a, a consideration. I'm sure they enjoyed a good meal. I'm sure they enjoyed a beautiful part of the world when they traveled or a nice place to stay. But their goal was to serve and sacrifice like Jesus and to share Jesus' good news. That, that was their goal. That meant that they had lived the life that God had wanted them to live. It wasn't a primary goal to have a good life. And I think that's something that it's very easy for us to absorb and it's something I've had to wrestle with myself. Another thing that I think can be a, a danger or a challenge sometimes is 
is, and this is true of any people, no matter where they live, it's easy to conflate our love of country with our love of Jesus. You know, we're clearly to honor our leaders. We are to pray for them. We are clearly to, to be good citizens and bless those around us and pray for our communities and our nation to get involved. We are to obey the laws of the land unless they cause us to compromise you know, our faith in Jesus. But Paul asserts in Philippians 3 and other places, our citizenship is in heaven. We are Christians first, and then Americans or Canadians or Mexicans or whatever. This is what got the early church into so much trouble with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire said, you are Romans first, and then you're a Jew or a Christian or whatever second. And the Christians said, no, we are Christians first. So Paul begins with a section, remember, remember who you were before Christ. Don't treat others differently as you did before, using all these different divisions and categories and stereotypes. At the cross, the ground is level. Nobody is elevated above anybody else. We all fall short. We all sin. Now, when looking at the cross, there's a vertical dimension and there's a horizontal dimension. Okay, it's very, literally there is, right? You look at the cross, there's a, there's a vertical beam and there's a horizontal beam. Theologically, that's true as well. On the cross, we are reconciled vertically with God. We are separated from him because of our sin. And through the cross and Jesus' sacrifice for us, we can be forgiven and, and have communion with God again. We can have peace with God. We can have ex- access to God through faith in Christ. On the cross, we are also reconciled horizontally with each other. We are connected to others who are vastly different than us. And Christ put to death the division and the hostility that exists that separates us before the cross and outside of the cross. Now this, the horizontal, seems to be the focus of, of the second part of chapter 2. Okay? The first part of chapter 2, when you look at it, the first uh, ten verses, he deals with the vertical aspect of the cross. How we are dead and sinning without Christ. How through faith in Jesus Christ we are saved, not by works so that no one can boast. But the second part, he deals with, with the, how we're reconciled to each other. Verse 14. He says that when Christ died, he dismantled the dividing wall of hostility. What's he talking about there? Well, it's a reference to what everybody would have recognized. It was a reference to the walls within the temple, the temple of Jerusalem, where people would go to worship. And in the temple, there, there were these walls, four courts separated by walls. The outer court was the court of the Gentiles. And you move inward, there was the court of, of women. You move in from there, there was a court of the Israelites. You move in from there, there's the court of the priests. So, so, so figuratively, or at least in a sense, as you moved inward, you became, he had more access to God. Okay, the priests had the most access, then the male Israelites had the most next, then the women, and then the Gentiles last. In 1871, archaeologists actually found this dividing wall that separated the court of Gentiles from the courts of women. And on the wall, it had these very strong words, do not proceed any further for fear of death. So the Gentiles would have understood that their place in relationship to God was on the outer edges. They were segregated. That's what Paul means when he says, you who once were far off. But then Paul says that when Christ died, he dismantled that wall. He tore down those barriers. And now Jew and Gentile can come together as one people and worship. 
You see, the cross is a place where barriers are torn down, barriers between us and God and barriers between us and each other. The barriers between the races, between male and female, between ethnicities or nationalities, uh, the, the, the barriers that divide us according to culture, all who have trusted in Christ at the cross, we are one. That which is far is brought near. A lost sinful people brought near to God. Broken different people, estranged from each other, brought near. And that is done through the person of Jesus, our, our crucified and risen Savior. So let's get technical for about 30 or 40 seconds. In verse 15, he writes about how Jesus became a, was a new man to bring the two together. And in Greek, there are two words for new, neos and kainos. And neos speaks of something that's new and relative to our world and time. So the latest Tesla would be neos or the latest um, iPhone would be neos. The latest jumbo jet would be neos. But here, Paul does not use the word neos. He uses the word kainos, which speaks of something new, a new invention. So he says, when Christ comes to create died to create one new person, one new man, this coming together of Jew and Gentile. It's, it's, it's a new creation. It's kainos. It's something the world has never, ever seen before. People who have hated each other and been divided by hostility for centuries have now, are now coming together as one, not just tolerating each other, but loving each other and serving and sacrificing and worshiping and sharing together. And there was no paradigm for that in the ancient world. A world riven by division, just like ours today, by politics or race or socioeconomics or, or whatever. The church came together as one. You know, if the church can't pull this off in our world today, we really have no hope as human beings. I mean, if the church can't pull this off and, 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 and break down the barriers between us and differences and come together as one, what hope do we have? But if we can and we do, well, then the church will be a light to the world and a city on a hill. Jesus said, you, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. For he himself is our peace, Paul wrote. And he has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He's made the two one. How does he do this? By setting aside, it says, in his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. What does that mean? Well, remember in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were given the law and regulations. And, and that difference, that made them very distinct from everybody else around them. The Jewish people don't eat this. They don't wear that. They don't, you know, so, they're so different well, because they were trying to follow this, this law. But they could never, ever fully fulfill it. They would always fall short. And so Jesus took on the cross. He took the law and all his commandments and he fulfilled them. He took the sin of the world. He took these things and he tore down the barriers that exist between us and God and each other. Unfortunately, in the church, in the early church, there were still these walls that existed. So, for example, Jewish believers felt that the Gentile believers should Become more Jewish, you know, get circumcised. And I mean, who wants to do that when you're an adult man? You know, uh, avoid certain foods. You know, I have to give this up now. 
I can't eat pork anymore. Uh, you, you, you follow certain cultural and traditional religious norms, etc. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. That's anti-gospel. Jesus is all that's needed for salvation. The barrier has been removed. Faith in Christ, trust in his death on the cross for sin, belief in his resurrection is all that's necessary to be a part of the body of Christ. Jesus plus anything else ties salvation to works. And Paul emphatically denies that. You know, human beings, you know, probably since the advent of civilization, we've built walls. Walls to keep out invaders, walls to protect, walls to exclude, walls to uh, imprison and confine. We see this in history. The Great Wall of China, the Hadrian Wall built by the Roman Empire, the Berlin Wall, so on and so forth. Walls, walls, walls. But Jesus came to tear down walls. The wall that exists between us and God and the walls that exist between each other. And Jesus is our peace. And he is our only hope. And so we should not and must not put the walls back up. And where they remain standing, we must work to tear them down. So two takeaways. Remember, our primary identity is that we are children of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what should guide us, and that is what binds us together. Paul writes about this in Galatians 3, where he says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized, we're going to see this in a few minutes, into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, as followers of Jesus, in relation to other believers, we should focus more on what unites us than what divides us. I mean, look at the world. The world focuses on what is different, on what divides us, on where we're at odds But in the church, as followers of Christ, we must focus on what unites us. And what unites us? Listen again to Paul. There is one body and one spirit. There is one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, we are one. The cross of Christ truly is the answer to the division and the hatred and hostility we see in the world because he is our peace. So look to the cross and come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that anything that I've said that's not of you would be let go of. But Lord, that your truth would be all that remains. That your grace and your love and the power of your cross would be what remains. Father, I pray that you, through your spirit, would search us. Lord, that we would uh, look at ourselves and, and the things that we've embraced. And, and that you'd show us where we need to repent and realign um, so that our values and priorities line up with yours. Uh, Lord, help us, Father to be people who um, are a witness to the world because of how just a diverse group of people 
with so many differences, things that could easily divide, that we come together in your body, in your church, as one, focused on you, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, united at the foot of the cross through the power of the cross, where the walls have been torn down between us and God and the walls have been torn down between us and others. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.